Zan Beichu, that means good morning. Or Sikarivizhi Zan Dave, today is really a good day. And Ishindamahani Doi, Sikindave, this is what we're going to do today. And Hanaranga, did you hear me? And they say, ha, huh, that's yes, or ge, which is no. And a lot of the time they always tell me ge just to get a rise out of me. I'm Lindsay Linton Buck, and you're listening to the Women in Wyoming podcast series, where I talk with inspiring and influential women around the state and learn about their lives, journeys, and how they got to where they are today. This is Chapter 2, Filling the Void. This chapter features women across the state who address a need or opportunity within themselves, their communities, or out in the world. The void is also symbolic of Wyoming's vast open landscapes, so you'll hear from women in this chapter who come from some of Wyoming's more rural areas as well. This time, Lynette St. Clair in Fort Washakie, Wyoming. Lynette is a Shoshone linguist and educator of culture, language, and history on the Wind River Reservation where she grew up and where she's established most of her professional career. I talk with Lynette about her journey to becoming an educator, as well as her passion to share and preserve the Shoshone language with the next generation and with the world. Here's Lynette. Nanai, Lynette St. Clair, Nasosori. So I introduce myself, Lynette St. Clair, and also as a Shoshone. And Nanai is that? Hello. My name. My name. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. Thanks. Your roots run incredibly deep on this land. Why is this place so special to you? Well, because of the fact that this is our homelands and our ancestors walked on this earth thousands and thousands of years ago. And just knowing that at one time there were buffalo and there were people, our grandparents walked around here and fished here and hunted here and made a living here on this land, it gives me a a far better appreciation of where I come from and who I am. Tell me a little bit about your experience growing up in this area. Well, I live at Fort Washakie, and I was born in Lander because at the time we didn't have a hospital. Grew up here at Fort Washakie, going to school at Fort Washakie School. At that time, we only had a K-8 facility, and then went to school in Lander. But growing up here at Fort Washakie was back in the 70s. I won't date myself, (laughs) but it was back in the 70s, and and at that time, it was, I think, a lot of the indigenous peoples were starting to find their footing in their place, starting to recapture that strength that we have always had, but lied dormant at one time. It was a good time to grow up back in the Mm -hmm. 70s, because that was when red power was big, and a lot of the things that had to do with the rights of Indian people we're starting to really come to the forefront of a lot of movements. Seeing that, being able to experience that and reinforce who we were or who we are was a good time. And you could feel that even out here in rural Wyoming on, on this reservation. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I grew up in a pretty large family. My, I was the baby at one time of a family of seven. And then my little sister came along. I had five brothers and two sisters. My brothers are all older than me. At that time, they were out being the tough Indian guys. They used to walk around with the Billy Jack hats and the wrapped hair, the long hair that was wrapped with thread and yarn. It was kind of cool. 
to see them. And, and just like I said, it was at that time, it was such a free time. We didn't really have to worry about much of anything. It was certainly a, a different time from what we're growing up in now. I'm curious, did you grow up speaking Shoshone in your household? Pretty much, yes. My, my parents were both fluent. So I would actually sometimes go to sleep at night hearing them in the winter, especially because my dad was a seasonal worker. He was a heavy equipment operator. Much of his work was done in the summertime. So in the wintertime, we had to have alternative methods of, of income. And one of the ways in which they were able to bring income into the household was through beadwork and making their own creations. I would hear them in the kitchen visiting and talking, teasing each other sometimes late into the night. Are the earrings you're wearing today, you have these beautiful beaded earrings with a rose on them. Or is that something your parents would make, this, that style of beadwork? Yeah, actually, these are earrings my mother made. They're beautiful. Thank you. When you grew up and you were listening to your parents tease each other and talk to each other, and it was sort of second nature for this to be in your household, did you ever think at that time, wow, this is really cool, this is something that I want to make part of my life, or was it just totally normal and a part of your everyday existence? Yeah, it was pretty much normal. I didn't really think, I thought basically everybody grew up like that. It wasn't until I actually got into junior high and I started reading and watching different movies and reading different books about the boarding school experiences and stuff that I realized that there were some people who were not able to speak their language and then there were some people who were criticized for speaking their language. And actually at that time when I was growing up too, there were, because I went to school in a mostly non-native school, there were times when we were made fun of because we were from the reservation and, and we faced serious racial discrimination. Do you remember what that felt like when you were little or did you be like, why is this happening? Or Yeah, you know, and I, I did. And one of the things that I remember my grandmother getting really mad about it, just going to the store with my grandmother, who was pretty much a traditional dresser. So when we would go to the neighboring towns, we would be followed in the stores and just to make sure we didn't steal anything. She wasn't very fluent in English. You know, when she did get mad, it was pretty colorful language in Shoshone. And she, she was saying, you know, she would say, why are you following me? I'm not going to steal anything. I have money to buy what I need. They would just stand there and stare at us. So it was kind of weird to experience that. And then as you get older, it's just one of those things that is, it's not okay that it happens, but it is what it is. It happens and you just kind of go on with your life. You don't let that really control you as much as it used to when you were, you know, younger and had, you really didn't understand what was happening. Right. Let's go back to how you started in the school systems because you weren't always a teacher and you weren't always in this role. Where did you start? So when I start, first started working in the schools, I, wor I started working as the school secretary. And that's where I, I started to just see the behind-the-scenes operations of, of what a school runs like. And we had several principals that came through. I really enjoyed working in that position because it was, it was right there, seeing the kids every day, knowing that some of those kids probably had, didn't have a very good evening, but you were the first face that they saw. And so one of the things that I really tried to bring forward was when the kids would come in, I would always greet them with a smile 
because I know, you know, a lot of those kids, a lot of our kids, you know, just it's not just here on the res, but it's throughout the country, come to school with a lot of baggage. Mm-hmm. And when you're met with, you know, a scowl or mean face or whatever, it affects you. I really hoped that kids that came through at least felt that they were welcome there because that was their school. I mean, it is their school. That was one of the things that I really focused on was just making sure that they felt welcome to experience, you know, some positivity in in their lives and their educational experiences. After working there at the school as a school secretary, there came an opening for uh, Indian education coordinator. When the position did come open, it was not you know, anything that I have even considered doing. And one of the reasons was I was happy with what I was doing. And I really enjoyed being in that school secretary position and just working alongside the principals and and helping coordinate things throughout the school. At the same time, I had people, you know, that worked there at the school and, and people out in the community saying, how come you don't put in for that? And at the last minute, I think it was like the last week, that it was posted, I finally thought, well, maybe I will put in for it. And tell me about that, because it wasn't on your radar to even be thinking about applying for this. So how did you, why did you decide to apply for this new position that came open? The whole point of having that job was to have somebody create a program for the language department that had been there for several years, but had not really been successful in developing language materials or even developing a a language program. Just seeing how that was operating and and wanting to improve in that area, that was one of the factors in, in swaying me into applying. And the other part to that was really making sure that the students in our school were receiving tribal history and government as part of their social studies learning. As the Indian education person, I was in charge of making sure that, you know, I developed those materials and I developed those resources for the teachers to utilize in their classrooms. Do you remember the feeling when they called you and told you that you got the job? Yeah, I I was disbelief. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Well, because, you know, I, I, and, and really it was disbelief and shock because I thought, okay, I'm stepping out of my comfort zone and I'm leaving a career that I really enjoyed and I had made, you know, a living at doing. And actually, I thought I was pretty good at it. No, I bet you were. (laughs) But um, and I'm stepping into another area that I really don't really know much about. And then I was happy because I thought, well, you know, I'm always the one that's the squeaky wheel. And I'm always saying, well, why don't why don't you guys do this? Or why don't you try this? And was always just kind of like, yeah, yeah, sure. I actually thought, well, here's my opportunity to make things happen and shake things up and get things going. So I looked upon it as a challenge, and and so I took it on and thought, here we go. It just kind of hit the ground running. Yeah. So let's talk about your shift to becoming a teacher because you you moved from being the principal's assistant to the program director, and now you're a teacher. The shift from being the Indian education coordinator to becoming a teacher happened. It was a very challenging time. One of the things that happened was I was basically given an ultimatum that they were going to seize the Indian Education Department and no longer have it. I had the choice of either retiring, taking early retirement, or becoming a teacher. Their impression was that I was not interested, which I really wasn't. But 
having created a lot of the things that was going to hopefully be sustained throughout the school when I left, not really being assured that that it was going to happen, I thought, this is something that's being presented to me again as a challenge. And so I thought, I'm not going to quit and give this up because I worked too hard for it. So I accepted the challenge and I became a teacher. And that was a great opportunity for me to actually go into the classroom and pilot the things that we had started to develop and make gains on. So it really, for me, it was a great opportunity to just get in there and really see how effective what we had created was going to be. What's the climate now with kids that come in having an understanding of the language? Today, these children that come in have limited, if any, contact with people who speak the Shoshone language. It's very limited. And right now, we are struggling to really keep our language going and keep it strong. Because as time goes on, we're losing more and more of our older generation who are the fluent speakers. And for myself, I never say I'm fluent. I don't consider myself to be fluent. I think I'm proficient because I'm still learning. And we have such limited time that it's really hard to try and get that language to stay. Here in this district, I'm very fortunate that I have 50 minutes a day, four days a week for language instruction. And so you have to be on top of it every day or using as much time as you can. You received the National Johnson O'Malley Teacher of the Year distinction for your use of technology to enhance language instruction and service to the children of the Wind River Reservation. So why do you think technology is such a great tool to facilitate language learning? Everybody uses technology, and that is the wave of the future. Actually, that is the wave of now. So just the engagement of the technology you know, pulling forward what kids already know how to use, pulling forward that knowledge, that innate knowledge that we have already as indigenous people. I mean, the language is not dead, it's just sleeping. And that's what I think we need to do is wake it up. And we have to learn of creative ways to do that. And I think technology is is the piece. Why is it so important that your language is preserved? And why is it so important to teach it to the next generation? Well, because it's who we are. I mean, it's in our DNA. It's synonymous with our very existence. I think making sure that, that the students and the children know how important it is that they, that they retain part of who they are is, is critical, especially in this day and age, in this digital world that we live in. It's so easy to get caught up in, in other things that you sometimes have to be reminded of, you know, the importance of who you are as an individual and the very fact that, you know, you know another language or you know, you know, your ancestors and your history, that is what is going to carry you through. And that's what our elders always tell us. Last year, I had a student who was Lakota and she was also Arapaho. And she was actually one of my best students. Mm -hmm. And she came in one day and told me, Hey, Mrs. St. Clair, you know what? I know how to say good morning in Shoshone, Lakota, and Arapaho. And I said, wow, that means you're multilingual. She said, is that a good thing? I said, you bet it is. I said, that's awesome. You know why? 
because there's probably not very many kids your age that know three languages. And it just, I mean, it, the look on her face and just the way that she carried herself, it was like, she was like, yeah, it was so awesome to see that. And just seeing the kids and the way that at one point they're struggling with picking up the language or they're struggling with the lesson. And they're like, this is so hard. I don't know. I can't do this. Last spring, I had two eighth graders who they were struggling with their final semester quiz. I kept reassuring them, you can do it. And I would work with them and work with them. And I said, you know, here's your root word. This is what your, the ending is going to be. It's never going to change until you get to this number. And finally, it was so cool. I actually saw the light bulb click on on one of the kids. And he was looking and he struggled for a second. And then he went, oh, yeah, this is how it, because this is the way it worked. And it was on, basically on numbers. His friend that was sitting next to him goes, dude, how'd you do that? He goes, it's easy. Let me show you. He started helping his friend and then he started helping the other kid. And so it was kind of a chain reaction. And I was just standing there and I thought, wow, that was, I wished I would have recorded that. That is amazing. I went home and I, I mean, I seriously went home and I was just like, I was so elated. What a rewarding moment. It really was. As a teacher. It was. What's your goal moving forward? If you could wave your magic wand and have your ideal program and where the students are at, what would it look like? My goal in going forward, I would say, would be having the students work together to learn the language. When I saw that last spring, having one kid get it and then having him go and teach the other and then having them collaborate and work together, that's what I see idealistically. I see them going to the store, the general store up at Fort Washakie and saying, hey, and hina hanipun, and being able to discuss, you know, talk to each other in Shoshone and just be proud of who they are. That's what I see. And I know it's going to happen. And just knowing and seeing the students make strides, having come from where they were before to where they are now, that's what reassures me. I was once in that seat. I had very limited teachers who were Native American, who were Indian. I hope they see somebody from their community that they can look up to and know that I will always have their back, their vocal piece if I need to be. I'm an advocate for them, and I hope they see that. That's great. Do you have a favorite expression or word you like to say in your language? Well, I was just thinking like today when I was talking to my kids, one of the things I always tell them is when I greet them, I say, Zan Beichu, that means good morning. Or Sikarivizhi Zan Dave, today is really a good day. And Ishindamahani Doi, Sikandave, this is what we're going to do today. And Hanaranga, did you hear me? And they say, Ha, huh? that's yes, or Ge, which is no. And a lot of the time they always tell me Ge just to get a rise out of me. What would you want to say to? kids and your students now as you see them going on their path in life and just how we are supposed to journey through this life. I would tell them, and and I do tell them this, you know, everybody is put here on this earth and they have a purpose. And it's up to you to find that purpose. And, And the creator works in different ways. He gives you challenges. You have to figure out ways to overcome them. And those challenges should be looked upon as something that's going to help you grow and help you become stronger. And the ultimate goal is to be able to leave a mark in this world. And it's 
something that you have to figure out what it is. And the other thing I tell them is failure is not an option. You might stumble. Things might not always work out the way that you expect them to. And nothing in life is easy because, you know, you have something to offer. It's just up to them to find out what it is. What would you, I I love that. And if you could elaborate on how you actually do that, what are some of those key attributes you think are so important to basically being able to move through failure or move through challenges and also how to leave your mark? One of the ways I think is going to help them is by knowing who they are and really learning about their families and about their culture and about their history. One of the lessons I present to them is the boarding school experience about how our grandparents, some of them were not allowed to speak their language. They were beaten. They were, some were punished drastically. They weren't able to sing their songs. They weren't able to practice their spirituality. They were not able to even look a person in the eye without being punished. It's, it's a cruel history, but it is part of our history, and they need to know that. They need to honor the past by recognizing those obstacles that were overcome by our grandparents and realizing that we're strong people, we're resilient people, and despite the fact that we were not supposed to be here now, we're still here. And that's one of the things that I think, as I reinforce the teachings of our grandparents, I always tell them, you know, never forget who you are, where you come from because we're strong people. Chapter two in particular is around this idea of spilling the void. And the void to me is not empty. It stands for this incredible potential, really, or need or opportunity to be filled. What does filling the void mean to you in relation to your life and how you got to where you are today? Wow. Filling the void. Well, you know, as I reflected on my own upbringing and my own uh, educational experiences and my own personal experiences. I think one of the things that I think, you know, as far as filling the void is being able to not only teach our own children who they are and where they come from and then our own students about their history and everything, but my dream is to educate all people, non-native and native, other ethnicities, other races, and other tribes about who we are as Shoshone people. And one of the ways in which I hope to achieve that is by being part of the initiatives that are going to make that happen and make that possible. There's things that I'm doing as far as my part to try and educate people, and that is by being part of the the new standards initiative to address the American Indian contributions throughout the state. Even here on the reservation, we have such a diverse population of different cultures or different tribes, and those are underrepresented voices. We have Northern Arapaho, Southern Arapaho, Lakota, Eastern Shoshone, Paiute, Western Shoshones, Northern Shoshones, Shobans, Shoraps, Crow, Navajo. We have a lot of different tribes here. I mean, we've become like a melting pot of of different tribes and I think it's it's really cool because we're we're at a point now where we're able to to recognize that and to honor every all the diverse populations here but still retain 
you know, our traditional ways of living. And I always tell my daughters and I tell my students that all the time, how cool and how lucky are we that we are indigenous people, we're Shoshones, and we have our own culture and our own way of life. So I'm hoping that, you know, being part of that initiative and just trying to get our history and our, as much as I can, of our authentic voice, I guess, that's what I hope to accomplish. While you have the microphone, what do you want the world to know about the Shoshone people? We are a beautiful community. We have a strong connection to our homelands here who have existed here for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And we still have all of our traditional beliefs, but we are going forward. We have doctors, we have lawyers, we have Indian chiefs, different um, you know, professionals in the world. And we're not just relics of the past, that we are contemporary. We are here, we are living, breathing human beings just like anybody else. And we have a lot to offer. It's beautiful. Is there any way you could leave us with some sort of closing in Shoshone? So one of the things that we don't say in our culture is goodbye, because that is too final. Because in in our world, we believe that we're only here visiting for a short period. And when we go to the other, the spirit world, we'll see each other again. So instead of saying goodbye, we say, Nuna Ambuñe, I'll see you later. Nuna Ambuñe. Yeah, did I get it? Artemis. <laughs> yeah, you did. That was Lynette St. Clair in Fort Washakie on the Wind River Reservation. To see Lynette's full profile and portraits, visit the project website at womeninwyoming.com. That's womeninwyoming.com. You can also follow the project and my journey on Instagram at womeninyo, that's women in W-Y-O, as well as on Facebook at Women in Wyoming. This chapter is supported in part by the Wyoming Community Foundation, the Bobby Modell Charitable Fund, and the Equipoise Fund. Momentum is our nonprofit fiscal partner. I'm Lindsay Linton Buck, and you've been listening to Women in Wyoming.